0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents, Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you to the program again this week, and thank you so much for joining us every week at the same time. Uh, If you have not joined us before, uh, we are going to start a new series today, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, I trust you've been blessed by the ministry as it flows from, you know, uh, the viewpoint many times of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the grace of God and the gospel of the kingdom. Those are emphasis that we have and that we put on the word. I'm going to start a uh, series today that I've been researching over the last several months. I was reading in the front of my uh, Bible, you know, where it describes like, uh, it tells you what books of the Bible are about, and I was looking in the front of my Bible concerning the book of John and in the very first part of that that describes the chapter, uh, there's several things that I want to mention about it. It is, first of all, uh, he, uh, he said that there were seven times in the book of John that uh, John would describe something that Jesus said that I am. I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, etc. We're going to get into the seven I am's of Jesus over the next several weeks. Let me say quickly though, before we get into the Word, that uh, if you don't set your DVR and get all of these, you can uh, certainly go to our YouTube channel. We have a lot of people that are following us on YouTube. And uh, we archive everything we air on YouTube so that you can watch it on demand at, at your leisure. We also put up the audio portions of this on iTunes. And we also put it up as an RSS feed. Now the easiest way to do that, of course, is to go to my website, which is the address is on the screen there right now. And if you will type that in Uh, uh, My my web address, the opening screen will have a video of uh, the most current television program that we have aired. If you tap on that, it will take you directly to our YouTube page. Also in the upper right hand corner of the website, there are little icons for the podcast, iTunes, uh, you will have the iTunes uh, logo and also the RSS feed. to have a little Android there. So you can go and get those. There's also, you know, if you you may or may not know this, but there are apps for your smart television or your smart device or your smart phone where you can download actually the app for the networks that we are on and watch us live. Most people really are probably more interested in watching it on YouTube because you can watch it on demand and you can pause it and et cetera. But, uh, uh, you know, those are ways where you can get the Word, and you can get it while you're headed to work, or uh, or whatever you you are are doing. I, I, I so many times really love to listen to podcasts when I'm mowing the lawn, or I'm riding down the road in my automobile and I'm traveling to a meeting somewhere. It gives me a a time when I'm alone in my car just to uh, hear the Word of God. So those are available to you. We're doing that, uh, so there's no charge for that. All you got to do is do that. Of course if you ever feel, you know, that you're feeding from this ministry and you'd like to become a partner with us or you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, of course that is what keeps us on the air. Now let me uh, let me just talk a little bit about the book of John, and uh, there's so many things that I'm going to say over the next couple of weeks. And one of the things I really love about television is that I'm not in a setting where um, I've only got three days to preach in a meeting and I've got to get it all out. I can just take my time and develop the Word and let you enter into these studies. A lot of people are really enjoying some of the things that we've shared over the years. We've archived stuff on the book of Revelation, we have a playlist there for that. We have uh, one that people are really enjoying right now on the book of Hebrews. There's just, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, subject matter there that I believe will bless you if you want to get in the Word and, and of course, you know, uh, listen to it at, at your leisure. But, uh, you know, when I, the book of John is probably one of the most uh, interesting books out of the four uh, synoptic Gospels. John, uh, you know, its date is anywhere, they think it, the dating is anywhere from A.D. 60 to through A.D. Uh, 90, and uh, so, so that's kind of somewhere along the the uh, uh, dating of this book. Uh, the Gospel of John, though, a few things I want to mention, does not have the Olivet Discourse. It does not contain the Olivet Discourse. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have versions of the great prophecies that Jesus gave in uh, Matthew 24, for instance, Luke 17 and 18, and in Mark's Gospel where He talks about, uh, you know, uh, what I think is commonly referred to many times as uh, a a prophetic last days Scriptures. Now, I'm just going to take my time with this. Because I believe that one of the main things that I emphasis, that I emphasize, I'm sorry, when I'm teaching the Word is that audience relevance is everything. The timing, you know, I mean we learn simple things when we're in school like who, what, when, where, and why. But sometimes we jump into these scriptures and we read them out of the context of the backdrop of what would have been the understanding of this first century. For instance, Matthew was a book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus was really focusing on a Jewish audience. The the gospel had not really yet been carried to the Gentiles while Jesus was talking about it being taken to them They were still in the final days of Israel having opportunity to come into the new covenant promises of God and to receive their Messiah. Uh, And so, but when he begins to teach some of these things, for instance, in the Olivet Discourse, and he says things like this, he's standing, first of all, in front of all the beautiful buildings of the temple in Matthew 23, and he says to that generation standing there in front of them, he said, he said to them, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and you that kill the prophets and stone them that are sent to you, how oft I would have gathered you under my feathers as a hen doth gather her chicks, but you would not. Therefore your house is left to you desolate. And so Jesus is literally weeping over natural Jerusalem, and that's the backdrop of it. And He says to them in Matthew 23 that the things, they, you that killed the prophets and stoned them, that sent to you, He said, upon this generation will come all of the, you know, all the judgments that He declared that would come upon them, that uh, He said will come upon this generation. He was not talking to our generation, He was talking to that first century audience telling them that generation was the ones that would suffer all of the judgments that were about to occur. If you read many of the parables, almost started to talk about the parables today, but I really haven't done all the research I want to on all the parables. But one of the things that he does is he gives a parable uh, just just a, a few chapters, not just a few, but probably even I think Matthew 22 to 23 somewhere through there where he talks about a certain man let out a vineyard and he let it out to husbandmen and uh, he said then he sent servants to see how the vineyard was going and some of them he said of course they stoned others they uh, put out of their company some they put to death he said but last but not least the owner of the vineyard said i'm going to send my son surely they'll receive my son he said but they killed the son of the owner of the vineyard. He said, what do you think is going to happen to those wicked husbandmen? He's going to take the vineyard and give it to a nation producing the fruit thereof. Now he's clearly talking about uh, the nation of Israel having become so apostate and rebellious that now they are at the point where um, it, it, it's, it's lights out for them. God was about to give this, He's offering it to the Gentile, or I'm sorry, to the Jews first, and when they are about to reject Him, Jesus is weeping over this city because they're the ones who literally killed the prophets and stoned them that were sent to them. And even when He talks about the vineyard, I'm getting way ahead of myself because I'll probably take a bunch of programs to talk about this, because one of the things Jesus says in John is, I am the true vine. Now what he's saying is, in contrast, you thought you were the vine, but I'm telling you that I'm the true vine. And so what, all of these I am's of Jesus is he's saying this in contrast to something. In other words, I am the true vine because you thought, Israel was the vine. We'll get into a lot of scriptures about that. Jesus later says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and He talks about every branch that doesn't produce fruit is going to be cut down, thrown into the fire. That actually happened to, uh, to uh, natural Israel in A.D. 70 at the destruction of the temple. Now I don't want to get sidetracked too much yet on the true vine, except to say the reason, in my opinion, this is probably my, my opinion, uh, but not just my, many other people's opinion, but the, the reason that John, the book of John, does not have the Olivet Discourse is because John wrote the book of Revelation, and in my opinion, the book of Revelation is John's expanded version of the Olivet Discourse. If you read Matthew 24 and the prophecies that Jesus gave and Matthew 24, He starts out by standing in front of all of these beautiful buildings of the temple, and He begins to say to them, do you see all of these things? I mean, He's literally standing in front of that natural, physical temple, and He's in the temple court there. He's looking from the Mount of Olives, and He's saying to them, do you see all these things? Not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. And he says, then, you know, he begins to prophesy several things that would happen. He says to them, you're going to hear about wars, and rumors of wars, and there's going to be famines, and earthquakes, and uh, they're going to deliver you up to be killed, and uh, you know, you, you know the, the terminology. I'm not going to go over to Matthew 24, because that's not the subject matter here today. And they asked Jesus this question, when will these things be? That was the first question second one, what will be the sign of your coming? And the third one, and of the end of, the King James Bible says, the end of the world. See, I, but you, you need to understand that many of these Greek words that are used are only translated sometimes in the King James version of the Bible, because the word for world here in Matthew 24 is not the Greek word that has to do with cosmos or the global uh, physical planet, it is the Greek word age or, well, it is the Greek word age, and translations other than King James will say, what will be the sign of your coming? When will these things be? And when will be the end of the age be? Now that makes a huge difference. If you study, if you look at Young's literal translation, if you look at most every other translation, they will say, end of the age. Here's where our problem sets in is we grab that and we think in terms of end-of-the-world stuff, and we think that's something here in our future when the, whatever president is in power that we don't like, we think the end of the world is near. And I I don't know about you, but I've become wearied with pro- uh, prophecies of end-of-the-world stuff that continue to not pan out. Now I, I'm sure that these guys that teach some of that are doing the best they can with what they know. And I, you know, I was raised under that until I begin to realize, wait a minute, hey, the context of this is not talking about the end of a global situation. It's talking about the end of an age. And if we don't understand that it was talking about the end of the age of the law, that's why we're still 2,000 years and counting into the new covenant trying to bring a mixture of both Old and New Covenant. And so even as Jesus begins to declare in the Gospel of John, I am, He is saying it in contrast to what they thought was the true light. In other words, you know, in several places here He says, for instance, I am the light of the world. I am the bread that came down from heaven your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. But that's not the bread that I'm talking about. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. You thought that the old covenant performance-based religious system was the way to life, but there was not a commandment that could give you life, so I'm the life. Uh, He contrasts and says, I'm the light. You thought that these, you thought Moses was the truth. But you don't understand that Moses gave you the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So what he's beginning to do is in the, in in the Johannian gospel, or the gospel according to John, is he's beginning to lay out the fact that he is the truth of what only those things were the shadow of. Now when He says to them in Matthew 24 again, and uh, He says, uh, I am, or when He says to them, uh, what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age, what happens is, is when we understand it is the end of the age, then we understand that it was the end of the age of the law, and all the stuff that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, He said to them, He said to them, I'm going to answer your question when will these things be? And if you get over to Matthew 24, I think it is in verse 34, he says this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. So he sets a time text and he tells them all of this will happen within this first century generation. Now I know what prophecy teachers do with that. They tell you that as soon as the, you know, uh, that they, they, they tell you that that's talking about the generation that's alive and well, uh, you know, uh, when the fig tree blossoms. But I'm telling you, Jesus set several places in here. Not only did Jesus say it, but several of the apostles said almost word for word, He says to them in Matthew 16, you will not have finished going through the city's of Jerusalem until the Son of Man become. He says there are some of you standing here that will not taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And then he tells them even when, the reason I'm saying all this even concerning John is that he does not put the Olivet Discourse in here because John, I believe the book of Revelation is everything that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 is not in the Gospel of John, But when John writes the book of Revelation, he talks about wars, he talks about famines, he talks about a temple being destroyed in chapter 11, he talks about the Romans coming to seize the city, he talks about a great symbolic and hyperbole language and types and shadows, because the book of Revelation is a book that's full of symbols. I mean, it's so powerful. If you read, uh, and and you you can interpret it by comparing spiritual things with spiritual things because the old covenant was the shadow and you see things like in the old covenant God rode on the wings of the wind and and he made uh, he or he rode on the clouds and and his 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 arrows went out like lightning and 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 he appears in the glory cloud over the mercy seat and when he would come in judgment against heathen nations he would talk about coming in clouds and so there's all kinds of that kind of language in the old testament that was not a literal physical cloud that he was flying around in, but they were prophetic language that are declaring something. I know probably I'm opening a big can of worms for a lot of you, but I, I, you know, I think that if you read this stuff sometimes in context, bells and whistles will start to go off, and things that don't fit will start to fit. And so when John even writes the book of Revelation, and again we're talking about John's Gospel here, but when John writes the book of Revelation, he starts out in chapter 1 by saying, these things are about to shortly come to pass. Shortly come to pass does not mean 2,000 years and counting. He says in that same first chapter, they which pierced me will look upon me, and they'll weep. See, that's the fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah. They which pierced him looked upon Him, and when He came in judgment against apostate Israel, when their temple was destroyed, and the city was burnt with fire, and uh, uh, all of the judgments and the plagues of uh, the book of Deuteronomy were fulfilled because God was keeping His end of the covenant bargain from the book of Deuteronomy. I have a whole set of notes where I compare the curses of Deuteronomy and say, here's where this curse was given, here's where this curse was was fulfilled in Revelation. Now it was not that God wanted to curse people, but because He honors His word above His name, and they called the covenant curses on themselves, all of those plagues of Egypt came upon them. When you read the book of Revelation, you have to say, man, well, this reminds me of the plagues of Egypt. This reminds me of this. It's because God said to them, if you don't obey my word, and you don't walk in these ways, and you don't keep this covenant, then here's, you know, the the, the people stood and called the covenant curses down on them. As a matter of fact, I noticed the other day, and this is, I'm probably getting way off point here. But right before Moses died, God told him, speak to the people, and tell them, listen, here's, he said, rehearse all of these curses before them, and sing this song to them. And they will sing this song, and every time, he said, I want them to sing this song throughout generation after generation after generation, and he told Moses to teach them this song. And in that song of Moses, he talks about how uh, that if they don't obey, and they don't walk in God's ways, then all the curses of Egypt And all the curses of the book of Deuteronomy will come upon them. I don't know, as I was reading this I thought, well wait a minute now, I remember one other place in the scripture where it talks about they sang the song of Moses. And the song of Moses is sung in Revelation 15 where he said, and uh, you know he talks about in the chapter prior to that his vesture was dipped in blood and he was trampling out the vintage where literally the grapes of wrath were and uh, what he said in the next chapter is that he said, uh, and they sang the song of Moses. And as soon as they sang the song of Moses, it should have jarred this first century Jewish audience to realize he's talking to us about the covenant curses, because this is the song we memorized and learned that when we sang this song we knew that one day these curses were going to come upon us where our cities would be rifled, where the young and the old would be destroyed, where there would be famines and earthquakes and pestilence and disease and fire and and alien armies. That was the fulfillment that took place In the book of Revelation, because I believe that was John's Olivet Discourse as he began to share much of that kind of stuff, he tells them, see, I don't think we realize sometimes when we read the book of Revelation that John wrote this to seven churches that are really in Asia. And so, you know, I mean, you, when you're, if, if I wrote a letter to the church in Philadelphia today, uh, it's going to have some relevance to them, and not, I'm not thinking in terms that I'm writing this to a church that's going to find this letter some 2,000 years from now. It had to have some relevance. And even when the book of Revelation closes, he uses something, he says, he, he says you know, behold, I come quickly, and he begins to tell John uh, something exactly opposite of what he told Daniel. Because when Daniel wrote his prophecy, he told Daniel, seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is for a distant future. And so 400 and some years later, according to the prophecies of Daniel, many of the things that Daniel prophesied came to pass. And when when, when the book of Revelation ends, he tells John, don't seal up this book. See, he told Daniel, you seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because it's for the distant future. At that time, what God called the distant future was 400 to 500 years in their future. But when he tells John, don't seal up the words of this prophecy, because the time is at hand, he wasn't talking about some 2,000 years of the distant future. And in Revelation chapter 1, again, he tells them, the time is at hand. They which 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 pierce me, will look upon me. He wrote it to seven churches that were really in Asia. Uh, uh, the, in chapter 11, the temple is still standing, and the Gentiles that seized that uh, court that was without for 42 months was the Roman armies that came from 66 AD to 70 AD. In 42 months they seized that city. The temple was still standing. And I know there's a lot of people who try to refute the dating of the book of John, but there's a lot more evidence to predate it too, prior to the AD 70 date than there is for the later date. And uh, you know, there's a whole lot of references that I could give on that. Uh, But if you just simply read it with that in mind, you might begin to just take a look at it. That's the reason I believe that the Olivet Discourse is not in the Gospel of John, is because John was the one that wrote this, uh, that wrote the book of Revelation, and his probably was the most expanded and detailed and closer to the fulfillment of any of them than anybody, because John lived to be the longest. And and, and interestingly enough, Jesus prophesied, or He said to John when He was prophesying to uh, the disciples of things that would happen to you, He said, what will you if He tarries till I come? He was talking to John. And John did, in, in light of, when he came in judgment against apostate Israel, Now, uh, you know, there's so much to say here without so little time, but when He came in judgment against apostate Israel, John was still alive. Now I think where some of our problem is is we get bogged down in the fact that we think uh, about His coming as being just one event, and I do believe that there was a, an event that occurred in the first century where there was a coming in judgment, but I also believe in the synthesis form of understanding, and that is that Jesus continues to come. He shows up in our services. He lives in our lives. He could walk through a wall. Uh, he did several times throughout the scriptures. So we're not going to get into the eschatological side of it as much. I would encourage you to go listen to my Revelation uh, 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 playlist if you'd like to get into greater detail of that. I'm simply introducing this book today to tell you that John's Gospel is he's making contrast between what you thought was the light was not the light. Jesus was the light. He uses this terminology, I am, because he's identifying himself as, as being part of the human and divine, because in the Old Testament when Moses said, who must I say sent me? He said, you tell them, I am sent you. And when Jesus says, I am, he was identifying with the divinity, that he was in fact the Son of God, and that he was the living Word, he was the light He is the life, He's the bread, He's the resurrection, uh, and we will get into all of these as we get down through here uh, a little bit further into our, uh, into our study. And so what He does then, you know, is that, uh, I hope I've made sense with that. And then this book also is uh, probably the most powerful case, let me just read this from my notes, it's probably the most powerful case, and of all, uh, and all the Bible for the deity of the incarnate Son of God. The deity of Christ can be seen in his seven I am statements. On certain occasions, Jesus uh, equates himself with the Old Testament I am, or Yahweh. John also emphasizes that he was the Word, that is, he's the Logos. John also emphasizes that the Word was made flesh, and the humanity of Jesus is emphasized. Remember that in the later epistles of John he is referring to the Gnostics who do not believe that Jesus had really come in the flesh, and John states in his epistles, our eyes have seen and our hands have handled the tangible word of God which was Christ. He is both human and divine, he was very God and very man, and as such we must emphasize both his humanity and his divinity. That is what he did that is, what He did as God and what He did as a man in union. Hallelujah. We're just about to run out of time, but we're this is going to be an interesting study. Set your DVI, DVRs to tune in every week. Let me say, if you'd like to help us be able to stay on the air, call the number on the screen. You can so see via credit card, or you can write to the address that will come on the screen with check or money order, or you can go to the website address and there is a place where you can give uh, with your credit card or your debit card. Consider becoming a monthly partner with us and helping us reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in again this week. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.